Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of the main course in our leadership development section of this podcast. Today we have the privilege of talking with Cal Walters. Cal is a major in the U.S. Army and is passionate about helping people live a more intentional life, be better leaders, and make their highest contribution to the world. Cal is a husband, father, lawyer, combat veteran, and the host of the top management podcast, Intentional Living and Leadership. He was recognized as the best company commander, received the superintendent's award for achievement, and was on the dean's list at West Point Academy. While at West Point, he earned the coveted Ranger tab after going through Army Ranger School as well. Cal also served as the second in charge of an infantry company of over 150 soldiers in Iraq. While deployed, Cal received the Combat Infantryman's Badge and the Bronze Star. His passion for service and his desire to help others led him to career in law where he graduated at the top of his class and went on to serve as a military prosecutor and senior military prosecutor for three years at one of the largest jurisdictions in the U.S. Army. After spending the past year completing a master's in military law at the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School in Charlottesville, Virginia, Cal is moving to Fort Bragg, North Carolina to become the Chief of Military Justice at the historic 82nd Airborne Division. Cal's passion for leadership development led him to produce his own podcast, and while even less than a year old, it is ranked in the top 35 of all management podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Cal receives over 1,000 downloads per month, and his listeners are in 19 different countries. Cal regularly interviews best-selling authors, CEOs, and top leaders from a variety of industries, and we highly encourage all of our listeners to go check out his podcast as it's a great resource for both personal development and leadership development as well. Ultimately, Cal's passion is to inspire others to be their best self and make a positive difference. Welcome to Leading the Rounds. Hey everybody and welcome to this episode of Leading the Rounds. We are so excited to have Cal on today, and we want to start off by saying thanks so much to Cal for being on the show with us today. We are so excited to start into this discussion and hear the thought-provoking things Cal has to say. So Peter, why don't you start us off with our first question and take us away. Hey Cal, welcome to the show. We'd like to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and talk to us. And we want to start this interview off with a pretty easy question. What gave you the idea to begin your own podcast, and what does it mean to live an intentional life? So I started my podcast, it was about five, well, five years ago, I was an attorney at Fort Hood, Texas, and a prosecutor, and I was about to start a commute, it was about 45 minute commute each way, and one of my friends, I told him I was heading, and I was going to have that commute, and he said to me, Cal, you should start reading and listening to podcasts. I read like 20, 30 books when I had a commute, and I kind of had one of those light bulb moments when he said that to me, that it hit me. I had not been really doing anything to grow as a leader. I had not been doing anything individually to grow. And I think a lot of us fall into that trap because we go to grade school and then high school and college. And I know a lot of this audience went to medical school. They're in medical school. And I think we rely on other people to develop us, which is you know, that's, that's a part of our development. And I, I did that, but I never took ownership of my own development. And so I kind of had that light bulb moment. I started listening to podcasts and reading a lot of books and I consumed 
a lot of books over the course of that three years, an hour and a half every day in the car by myself. In fact, I got home and I would talk to my wife. I'd say, Natalie, let me tell you about what I learned today about leadership or about personal growth. And, and she, she humored me and she's, she's kind and she listened, but I could tell she wasn't as excited about my random insights that I thought were profound as, as I was. And so I started to think maybe I should offer some of these to other people through the form of a podcast. But like most endeavors that require some level of vulnerability, risk, I got started to think about all the, all the reasons I shouldn't do it. Well, Cal, you don't have anything to offer. Cal, no one will listen. A number of different things came into my mind. And I think at that point, it hit me, Cal, you need to do this. If you don't do this, you're breaking a promise to yourself. You kind of feel that burden inside of you of something you need to do. So I did it. And it's been amazing. Uh, and I say all that to say, because I think a lot of us can learn a, a lesson from that, that if you have a burden inside of you of something that you want to do or feel called to do, and the only thing that's holding you back is fear, then, then you probably ought to do it. You probably ought to take that step of, of making yourself vulnerable and stepping out of your comfort zone because you're going to grow. Even if you don't have all the answers, you're going to grow by taking that step, taking that action and you'll figure it out as you go. And I titled the podcast Intentional Living and Leadership because I think what I learned by taking ownership over my own personal growth is that it's all about being intentional. It's all about saying, as I, owner, I know you interviewed John Gordon a few weeks ago and he wrote the book Energy Bloss. It's all about realizing that you have to drive your own bus. No one's going to drive it for you. If you want to achieve something in life, then you have to figure out First, what you want to achieve, not someone else's dream, your own dream, the person you want to be, the type of husband or father or doctor or leader that you want to be. And then you have to then set out a plan for how you want to do it on a macro level and then on a micro level of, okay, what does it mean for me to become a better leader today? What are some action steps I can take? Because a lot of us have good intentions. I don't know if you guys have read uh, James Cleary talks about how everyone has the same goals. Every, no one sets out and says, I want to be fat or I want to be out of shape or I want to be a bad leader or I want to be a failure. But the problem is very few of us will set out and create habits and routines and schedules that allow us to achieve our goals. And a lot of us have good intentions, but not all of us are, are intentional. So that's a long answer, but I would just say to me, being intentional means figuring out, number one, what success means to you creating a plan, taking ownership of your own personal growth, and, and then knowing that life is a journey of growth. And if you're not growing, then in my opinion, you're not, you're not going to be happy. And, and you're really, if you're not growing, you're dying. And I think that's, that's critical for any leader is to, to make sure that growth is a integral part of their life. Yeah, I love that response. And Peter and I both love your podcast. We've listened to it for a while now, and I love how you titled it Intentional Living. And, and that's actually been one of my favorite words for the past year is intentionality and being intentional. And I think it's so important that we think about our goals, but then also go down the micro level. I know that you brought up Atomic Habits, and he talks, James Clear, in that book about going down to the super, super micro level. What's the smallest thing I can do to move me towards where I want to be? And yeah. making that change because it's easy to do, because it's easy to do something really, really small. Yeah. And if you compound those actions, it's going to work you towards your goals in the long run. 
Yeah. So before we move on to the next question, I wanted to ask you, what are some of those tiny things that you put in place to help you be more intentional about how you want to live your life and some of your big goals? Yeah. Well, Caleb, I, I love that you brought, or that you kind of talked about atomic habits. I just, I recommend that book to anyone because I, I love the point he makes and you just pointed out that it really is those small daily or weekly habits that create our life. We are the sum of our habits. And so for me, some habits that I have tried to cultivate, and I would also say I'm not perfect at this, and I think it is a journey, but one of the things that is, is critical to me and my success is getting up early. Uh, and, and unfortunately with COVID, I, I fell off that wagon a little bit just because of all the, the changes and stuff, but I have found when I am at my best, I'm getting up early. When I was in law school, for example, I was probably getting, I started out not getting up early. This was coming from the army. I'd been an infantry officer and I remember I was talking to another law student and I was trying to figure out how did you, how are you getting all of this stuff done? And she responded to me, well, Cal, I'm getting up at 4.30. And I'm like, what? And then I thought to myself, hold up, I can do that. I've been spending the last, really at that point, 10 years of my life getting up at 5 a.m. Why am I not getting early? Why am I approaching this law school experience uh, any differently than I have the rest of my life. And so I got back into that routine. And if you get up early, and not everyone's a morning person, I get it. But if you start to get up just a little bit earlier, it's amazing how much time you have to do some of those things that are probably a lot harder to do during the day. So that's one of them. For me, also, just a little bit of exercise each day. I, I went for a run today. And I even told myself, Cal, a little bit of running is better than no running. And when I am out of my habits, I just find that I, I, I don't want to do anything uh, because it's just, I don't think I have enough time to do it to 100%, but it's just reminding yourself that a little bit goes a long way. Reading, critical habit for me. Every night I try to read for at least 15 minutes. Uh, I also get an opportunity to read when I wake up early. Reflection, journaling, all of those things for me personally are critical to my success uh, or whatever you know, micro level of success I've had. I think all those, all those things are just incredibly important habits for anybody, even if, you know, whether you're in law or medicine or yeah. business, I think it just, it, it gives you that opportunity to really just reflect and sit back on your morals and values and, and essentially just realign your compass. Yeah. Figure out where you want to go. Yeah, I agree. So one of my favorite quotes from uh, Atomic Habits, I just pulled it up because it's about this, this direct point, and I love it. It's James Clear quoted a social reformer, which is Jacob Reese, and he said, when nothing seems to help, I look to a stone cutter hammering away at a rock, perhaps a hundred times without a single crack showing. Yet at the 101st blow, it split in two. And I know it was not the last blow that did it, but all that had come before. Yeah. That's yeah, one of my favorite favorite quotes in that book. I, I agree. And that's, that's that same part where he, he shows this example or gives this example or illustration of, a, of someone having an ice cube on the counter and starting to crank up the temperature a little by little. And of course, the ice cube doesn't melt at all. But as, the, as you continue to crank it up, it hits that certain temperature that all of a sudden makes all the difference. The problem is most of us give up. And what I, I can't remember exactly what it calls it, but it's the valley of 
difficulty despair, or the, I think it was. Yeah, the valley of despair. And it's that point between those those micro habits over and over and over, those little investments that we think aren't making a difference. We let's say we've been running for 30 minutes a day and we continue to get on the scale and we see no progress and we get frustrated. And so what do we do? We quit. But we quit before we hit that critical moment, that tipping point where we start to see progress. And so I, I completely agree with it. And I think that's critical, a critical, a critical aspect to, li- to living an intentional life. It's also important too, because I think it's easy to discount the value of those small increments, especially for negative things. Like if I were to go and start smoking, for example, I'm not going to all of a sudden the next day get cancer. But if I were to smoke little by little over time, we know that that can have critical or negative impacts over time. So the same is true. We don't, we, I eat a cheeseburger today and I eat a cheeseburger tomorrow and the next day I don't all of a sudden become fat but it does compound. The same is true for good habits. The good thing though, is it's, it's just as hard to break a good habit as it is to break a bad. Actually, I think it's easier to, to, it's harder to break a good habit than it is to break a bad habit. So once we form those habits, they're stuck and they're there and it's hard to break them. So that, that's some encouragement for those of us who are trying uh, to, to create habits. One quick story. I, the, at the beginning of this year, I was like, you know what? I want to become someone who flosses. And I, I've never been great at that, which is uh, kind of embarrassing. But I, I just decided, okay, how can I become someone who flosses? And so what I decided to do is, is I put my vitamins right beside my floss, right beside uh, my Bible. And so I just had this morning routine where I was going to read a little bit of scripture. I was going to floss. I was going to take my vitamins. And then I was going to use this little app. It's called Strides and check off my habit. And it was a way for me to reward myself of each little small habit to, to somehow track and, and reward myself each day to, and acknowledge that it's those little investments that over time uh, make a difference. And now it's really cool. I, I just do, I floss out of habit versus something I have to think about. I, I've always, you start talking about habits and something that I feel like is funny, I call it the greatest failure of evolution is that good habits are much harder to form than bad habits. And I think if evolution was a, uh, a perfect machine, then yes. we would have evolved to become creatures that thrive on good habits. And I don't want to, you know, I know you mentioned, no, I know I'm why, not, I why? don't want to bring a this, but no, it's so I'm funny. A, why? A scientist. Well, why, so, why isn't, you know, why aren't the foods that taste good? Why aren't they good for us? I've always asked that know, question. <laughs> I, I had this argument with my girlfriend last night, actually. I was like, you know, if we, if we were actually the perfect beings, you would be able to eat cake all day and that would be the, the perfect nutrition. Exactly. That we would, yeah. Or we, or we would love to, you know, we would love the taste of raw kale. Like that would, I call that's it the so greatest true. failure of evolution. That's, oh, that's, <laughs> I'm with you, Peter. I'm with you, man. That's really funny. So, so that was a long tangent for our, for our first question initially. <laughs> it's my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. No worries. This is great. So the next thing we want to ask you is about your leadership training. So like Peter yeah. mentioned, when we jumped on the call at the very beginning, as medical students and in the medical profession, there's not much or nothing in a form of, you know, formal leadership training that we go through. And so I know you've been in the army. I know you went to ranger school and law school. Can you walk us through some of the things maybe formally or informally that have helped shape your leadership development and training in the past? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So a little bit about my background so people can understand some of the different levels of leadership training. So I, 
uh, I would say I was a leader in high school. I was the you know captain of the football team, student body president, that type of stuff. But then when I got to West Point, which is the United States Military Academy, I learned that leadership was a discipline in of itself, that that was something you could study, that you could learn about. They, they, do, they bring in people like Coach K and former generals uh, or current generals to talk about leadership. So they're always talking about leadership. And, and they do a good job of it. But I think the best way to develop leaders is to put people in leadership positions when it doesn't necessarily, uh, when the impact is not, couldn't be detrimental. So that was one of the great things about West Point is they put us in leadership positions, allowed us to figure out our different leadership techniques. Uh, For example, you would be, uh, for example, I was the company commander of a basic training company at West Point. And I got to learn, how do I, how do I communicate with a team? How do I communicate information? How do I handle when people make mistakes? How do I delegate? How do I empower? So that was, I think that's a valuable part of leadership development. And even if you don't have the opportunity to put people in those positions, you can still role play and give people a vignette and say, hey, Caleb, you're going to be the, uh, the physician in charge of this floor. Uh, you're, here's your situation here are some challenges. What are you going to do? And I think it's putting people in those practical application experiences and making them experience the challenge of leadership. Because I think people always say, or I've had, I've heard, had people say to me, Cal, leadership's easy. I don't think leadership's easy. I think good leadership is hard because it means you're giving of yourself. You're, you're listening empathetically. You are figuring out how people are motivated your giving of your time and your energy to develop people, all of those things to do them well require a lot of energy. I went to Ranger School. You mentioned that. That is its own. <laughs> I don't know that you want to try to replicate that, uh, but it definitely taught me a lot. I think one of the things Ranger School taught me more than anything was humility, was that when I am hungry and tired and I'm having to try to lead some, another bunch of group or people that are also hungry and tired, that's really difficult. Uh, so I think, I think the biggest takeaway for, from Ranger School for, for me is that, that humility goes a long way as a leader. That's a critical component uh, of knowing your own limitations, of serving your team. And then now I'm, a, I'm, in, I'm in the JAG Corps, so I'm a, a lawyer in the Army. And I think the JAG Corps does a great job of talking about what I talked about earlier, which is making personal development a priority for the people on the team. And and that looks like bringing people together and talking about books, bringing people together and talking about leadership principles, bringing people together and showing a talk of a, a leadership expert and debating the merits of that. And I think that I would just say, I think all of this I would wrap up into people should figure out what works for them. Me, I'm different than you, Caleb. I'm different than you, Peter. We have different personalities. We have different strengths, experiences. I might be an extrovert. Maybe you're an introvert. I might be uh, someone who thinks abstractly. Maybe you think in a different way. It's figuring out how can I take my personality, my experiences, my strengths, and make my leadership philosophy, philosophy my own. And I think you do that during development by making it okay for people to debate and to think and to uh, come to different conclusions. I think a sign of a poor leadership training 
uh, or development program is to say, this is the only way to lead. And if you don't do it this way, then you're wrong. Now there's certain things, obviously, when it comes to integrity or character that I, I do think are black and white, but a lot of leadership is figuring out what works for you, what are your values, and then figuring out how can I practically apply that in an organizational setting. So those are just some thoughts for me on uh, leadership development. So you brought up a couple of things I want to touch on there real quick. So you mentioned putting yourself in situations and learning from those situations, but then you also mentioned, you know, spending time reading books and learning and working on your self-development. And so I want to ask you, how much do you think of leadership development is one of those sides and how do we synergize those two? So Mm. for example, if I'm reading these leadership development books and I'm trying to grow on my own, how much of leadership is that versus experiencing and, and messing up maybe and learning from it? And how do we work to apply what we read in books and what we studied to the, the real world and our situations? How do we synergize the two as well? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I, I think it kind of depends on what the environment is. Are we talking about a school setting? Are we talking about an organizational setting? Um, I think what I've seen done well, I had a leader who was, uh, he was the senior lawyer in the, the, basically the office that I was in and he would read books and, and he would talk about the books that he was reading. And I think that's one very practical way that a leader can make it clear that personal development on your own is important. And then coming to the office and he would come around to the, to my office, for example, and he'd say, Cal, I'm reading this book. A lot of times it was uh, biographies. And you would say, I learned this lesson. And it's interesting, as we're going through this current situation, I see how that might apply in this way. What do you think? And so it's a way to take an abstract or, you know, something he learned and both show me as a junior person on the team, hey, the boss is, he's a reader and he's thinking outside of work. And he's now bringing that into the workplace uh, and using it and applying it. So I think that's one way you can do it. I think another way to kind of synthesize uh, those two things is when you, when you bring people together in a group setting uh, and you talk about some, some things you've been learning and then you put them into the scenario and have them work through it. And I kind of mentioned that before, but let's say Caleb, Peter, me, we're all on a team and we want to go through a leadership vignette and then incorporate some of the lessons learned from some books or some stuff on the outside, but not present it in a way of like, this is the only way to do it. Just present it in a way of Caleb, what do you think about this? What do you think about this concept of empowerment? Let's say we're taking David Marquet's book about empowerment and where he talks about how he's turned the submarine away around. There are a lot of people who instinctively don't like the idea of empowerment because they think, well, what am I supposed to do as a leader? And that's, that's a reasonable position to have. And then there are other people that say, well, you know, I, I don't want to be, you know, micromanaged. So empowerment makes a lot of sense to me. So I think it's just, it's just putting forward these concepts that we read about and think about into a real world example, into a group of people and saying, let's debate this and let's talk about the right way, a way to do this, a right way to do this, the pros and cons. And then I think at the end of that, what you have is people who have maybe a little more solidified and nuanced view of a certain leadership topic, but it's not just this abstract idea that's out there. Now you've made it a little bit more practical. 
So I think those are all really great thoughts. And I could ask you a hundred questions about like how to like best employ this, because I feel like there's a challenge sometimes on engagement. You know, you can't really, you can't really force someone to feel like they want to grow like as a leader. But what I, what I would rather ask you is we kind of got into what you, what you mean by intentional living, but I want to ask you now, what is your definition of intentional leadership and how, how does, how does this that you were just talking about contribute to like, fostering that for you? It does it even, or like, am I missing the mark on my understanding of what you mean by intentional leadership or, or what you yeah. were just telling us? Well, I think they are related. I think we lead out of who we are. I think we, you are, as uh, Greg McEwen would say, you have to protect the asset. You have to develop who you are. You got to lead yourself. I think the people that we respect the most we respect them because they lead themselves. When we look at the gap between what they say and what they do, as General McChrystal would say, the say their say do gap, it's really small. So I think an intentional leader is someone who leads themselves by living in line with what the values that they purport to have. So if you have a leader in the army, for example, who's talking all day about how important physical fitness is, but then when you see them, they don't look very physically fit. Or when we do physical fitness training, they clearly haven't been working out on their own or eating well, then I have a hard time not judging them a little bit and saying, you don't seem to be leading yourself. So I think that's a, a critical component. But I would just say, too, I think in a, an intentional leader, in my mind, when I think about some of the best leaders, they were intentional, mostly about people instead of the mission or the organization. Those things certainly matter. Right? We, we have a thing we're leading towards, but more than anything, they're focused on the people. I was just recently listening to... Patrick Lencioni, one of my favorite authors about leadership, talk about the two motives of a leader. And it's basically either you're, you're about yourself and you're in rewarding yourself or you're about others. It really is kind of one of the two. And a lot of, a lot of people want to be a CEO, but a lot of people don't want to do what CEOs do. I'm sure a lot of people want to be maybe the leader of a hospital because that's a cool title to have. But when we think about the verbs that are required of that job to really develop people and build people. Maybe there's a lot of people that don't want to do what the leader of a hospital has to do. And so I think a leader, an intentional leader, again, they're people focused, they're investing in their people. They care about their people. They want to learn about their people, what motivates them. And through that, these people grow individually they meet their potential and then ultimately the organization gets better i think those are all really great thoughts and uh, i just want to ask you to expand a little bit about this for uh students because i think sometimes you can you can miss the fact that as a student you're also a leader and sometimes you feel that that you don't really know how to as you were saying lead yourself um yeah so what what would you, what kind of advice would you give to students who are who themselves don't feel like they're leading anybody but really want to, I guess, push themselves to be better? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, if I could go back and talk to myself when I was that age, uh, I think I would, there were a lot of things I would, I would tell myself. 
Um, I think one point I want to make on that is that we have to view people not as followers, but as leaders, as future leaders. So when we are, when we have people that are brand new on our team, we need to be thinking about how can I train you for 10 years from now, right now? How can I start preparing you and, and how can I get you to see yourself not as a follower, not as just a technocrat in the trade that you're in, not just a doctor, but you are a future leader. That's how we multiply impact. And I would just tell students to begin to think about the leaders that you admire the most. And because we've all had leaders, maybe it was your mom, your dad, a coach, a teacher, a professor, another physician that you worked with. And what did you love about them? Take the time. It doesn't take long, but take 30 minutes and just jot down some, some character traits of those people, because that's going to help you form your own leadership identity and your own leadership philosophy. And then do the same with people that you don't respect or parts of people that you don't respect, things that they've done, things that they say, things that, how do they make you feel? I think the best leaders make people feel safe, but they also push people. So it's, it's, it's thinking about um, the teams you've been on and the, the organizations you've been a part of, those leaders that really made you feel good and made you feel inspired. What do they do? And I would start to think about that because the problem, I think for a lot of us, is we say, oh, I'll wait till I'm in a leadership position and then I'll figure it out. Well, the problem is once you get to that position, everything you need to know, you already need to know. I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, we can all grow, but it goes back to this idea of, you know, I think I can't remember the exact quote, but Abe Lincoln, someone asked Abe Lincoln, you know, if you had, you know, eight hours to, to saw a tree or to cut down a tree, I'd spend, you know, six hours sharpening the ax, something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But the idea is start sharpening the saw now. Start sharpening the ax now so that when it comes time to chop down that tree, you're ready. And that all comes through, I think, a commitment to personal growth, viewing yourself as a future leader and a current leader, and then taking some time to figure out of those people that you respect the most, what are the qualities that you want to try to live by as well? And you're, you're actually, you're getting at some of like my favorite verbiage from Stephen Covey. Oh man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think if anyone just, just has to read one chapter of any personal development book, I think the yep. sharpening the saw chapter in the seven habits is yep. It, it was probably the most impactful piece of writing for me and my leadership development. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I love that as well. And, and you were starting to talk about things that students can do there. And I want to go back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier. You mentioned vignettes. And so I'm guessing this is something that the army had you guys do. You were put in situations like that. We do a lot of vignettes in medical school, but nothing on leadership. They're clinical vignettes. What would you do with a patient in this case? So can you maybe talk a little bit more about, you know, what were some of those vignettes like? And maybe we can think about ways that we can start to translate them to a medical scenario for us in the future. So what yeah. were some of those vignettes like? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, that's a great question. So I actually was literally working on vignettes last night for the JAG Leader Leadership Center and uh, really what they are in a, in a leadership sense is they are scenarios, everyday scenarios that present some form of a leadership challenge. And I think the, the better the vignette, the more realistic. And it doesn't have to be some crazy scenario. It can just be something as simple as 
for example, one of the vignettes was you have an office who's led by two people who say that, hey, one of our top priorities is that for people to, to really spend time with their family, I want people to leave at a decent hour. I don't want people to be workaholics. And that's important to us. But then that same breath, they say the mission comes first. The mission's always the top priority. And so they, and they stay at the office until let's say nine o'clock. And so everyone that's below them, junior to them, feels this pressure to stay in the office until nine o'clock. And what is the result of that? Well, a lot of these junior leaders are, their, their spouses are upset at them. They're missing out on critical events. They're unhappy. They're not living well-rounded, healthy lives. And that presents a leadership challenge. So if you're the junior person, what do you do? If you're the senior person, what do you do? If you're the junior person now, how can you avoid being that person in the future? Because what this presents is, is a tension between principles, the principle of commitment and hard work and getting the job done with the other, you know, other principle of living a sustainable life, having some level of work-life balance or work-life integration, whatever you want to call it. So I think what it, the best vignettes, in my opinion, help us think through realistic, difficult things like that. Uh, it can be something like someone in your office messes up. Let's say you, you're on it, you have a team and you're trying to get someone to do something and they, they fail. They don't deliver a good product. They deliver something late. How are you going to react? What if, they, what if they deliver something late and then they mess up and then you have to, you have, but you haven't talked to them about it. You're scared to give them feedback. And now a month later, there's another critical thing that you have to work through that you need them to, to deliver a good product. How do you have that conversation? And, and so it's thinking through these different moments in leadership that are critical and, and making you think through how you're going to approach that before you actually get in the scenario. Uh, but, but yeah, I think the best vignettes ultimately force you to think through everyday scenarios that any leader is going to face. It could be something like a meeting. How are you going to run your meetings? I think it's a leader's job to run really good meetings. If meetings suck and no one wants to be there, whose fault is that? It's the leaders. Yeah. So just, a, just some examples. And during your training in the Army and Ranger School, how often would you guys go through these vignettes? How often would you put yourself in these type of situations? So Ranger School is literally... Uh, I wouldn't even call them vignettes. Ranger school is just a series of leadership challenges and experiences. You'll, you'll wake up one morning, it's three o'clock in the morning. You've gotten a year, an hour of sleep and they'll call your roster number. You run to the middle of the little patrol base and you're going to be the squad leader for the day. And you have to take the squad and prepare them for an ambush. So that that's Ranger school. So I, I think that's more practical experience than it is vignette based in the current the current organization that I'm in, the, the Army JAG Corps, we just did a series of vignettes. And one of the things we did, I, I should have mentioned this, we would have a group of people, so maybe 10 people who would act out a scenario in front of the, in front of the class. And there would be maybe 15 of us sitting in the classroom watching this scenario being acted out. And then they would pause at certain decision points and have us discuss the right way to do it. So that's another way you can do it is you can, if you have enough people, maybe have five to 10 people up there acting out a, a pre-established scenario, 
and then have the the rest of the group watching intently and, and prepared to offer their insights. And again, it just forces people to put themselves in these leadership scenarios before they actually have to be in them. Yeah, I really love that idea. And I think it's something that that is missed in our medical training. And so I love that you brought that up. We love getting insight from people in different fields because it allows us to reflect and to think about the ways that we're missing the mark and missing these opportunities to do the same. And so I think about opportunities where we could do this in the medical field, whether it's getting a group of uh, integrated students from the med students, from the nursing school, from um, the PA school and bringing everybody together to do situations like this. And I think about how much it would improve our communication, seeing things from other people's view, seeing what everybody's going through in an emergency situation where it's just as important as, you know, being in the army and, and being in a stressful situation like that as well. Yeah. And Caleb, I think that just highlights, and and we experience this, I think in every profession, but certainly in the legal profession is you'll have someone who's really good at their job. They're a really good individual contributor. They're a really smart lawyer. And, and I think sometimes as organizations, we, we forget that just because you're a really good lawyer and I bet it's true just in the medical profession, just because you're a really good doctor doesn't mean you're, you're ready for leadership. Leadership is its own discipline that we have to develop separately. Uh, so I think that that's, I'm, I love that you guys are doing this because I think it's, it's really needed in every profession. And I imagine it's certainly in the medical profession as well. We're, we're trying to take our learning into our own hands. And I think, Peter, I would just say one of the things I heard, uh, I think it was Craig Groeschel. I don't know if you guys are familiar with his leadership stuff. He has a good podcast. He talked about one of the things he did as a leader is he started talking and teaching and thinking about leadership way before he knew he was really in a leadership position. Or, and so I think even teaching and, and finding a way to share some of the things you're learning is such a valuable way to uh, learn and grow as a leader. So in, in medicine, they have this phrase with respect to like learning clinical skills. They say, see one, do one, teach one. Hmm. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I've, I've seen... I've seen some, you know, by, by seeing, I think, I mean, I, I've read some leadership literature. By doing, I've held some positions at my school. Now I think, you know, I, I'm ready to teach. I'm ready. I think that's the next challenge for me personally. Yeah. But again, I think it's so important. And Caleb, Caleb himself has a passion for teaching too. Yeah, I, I teach classes for undergrad students. And so I definitely think you learn something so much better when you teach it. And so by doing this, hopefully Peter and I can learn so much more um, from people like you, Cal, and from the other people that we're going to interact with and the books we're going to read. So that's one of the reasons, you know, we want to spread this and we want to help others. But, you know, we are a little selfish as well. We hope we learn a lot by doing this as well. And so I think that's something we're definitely looking forward to. I don't yeah. think we're selfish. We're not, we're not taking anything away from people. <laughs> well, and I think... And that's one thing for the listeners out there. Let's say maybe you're a medical student or you're a college student. Uh, teaching doesn't have to be starting a podcast. It, it could literally just be sending an email or, or journaling and then doing a blog or sending and you know, just sharing it with a friend. Uh, that's a way to, it's a way to intake information, think about it, test it, and then share it. And I think that further refines whatever you're learning. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. I think most of us know that, that have taught it certainly helps us gain 
more insight about whatever we're teaching. Definitely. Um, Caleb, did you have any last questions that you wanted to run by Cal? All right. Well, firstly, Cal, I'd like to thank you so much for your time. And because we're such big fans of your podcast, we're going to, uh, we're, we were inspired to come up with our own final question. But first, we'd like to throw your question back at yourself. So what are, what are your two favorite books right now that you're reading or have read mm. recently? Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. It's an honor to be on here. I, I'm, I love what you guys are doing. And I'm honored that we could sit and talk leadership. One of my, I'm, I like to nerd out on it. Uh, <laughs> you know, what I'm currently reading, I, well, let me just say a couple of books that have impacted me in the biggest way. I would say first, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey. Uh, that's a classic book. It's one that I go back to. It, it is a, is not necessarily a leadership book. It's a book about self-leadership, I would say, more than anything. Uh, but it, it highlights the need to lead ourselves, to grow, to live an intentional life. So I would, I would highly recommend that book. You know, even though it's a little bit dated, there's some things in there that you can tell it was written. I think it was written in the 80s. But that's just a classic that uh, I always recommend. Another book I would recommend is Patrick Lincioni's book, anything by Patrick Lincioni, but his book, The Advantage. It's a business book and it's all about the importance of if you're leading an organization, a lot of us focus on metrics and things that we can prove, but he highlights the importance of focusing on organizational health. And it's not as sexy, but if you focus on organizational health, your organization is going to thrive and you're ultimately going to meet all of those harder metrics that I think it's easy to focus on as a leader. And he also talks about this concept of uh, trust-based vulnerability, which is not maybe the most popular word, or it's maybe a little scary word for leaders because it maybe implies weakness. But I, I have come to the position that vulnerability, not, not vulnerability for vulnerability's sake, but vulnerability with boundaries as a leader makes you more human and it makes people trust you more and it really, I think, builds a culture where other people can be more human. And then I ultimately think it makes people more fulfilled and creates a more thriving, healthy organization. So I would recommend anything by him. Uh, I think The Advantage is a great place to start. You could also read his new book, The Motive, which I really like, which is a really short book. And it's about the really the motive behind leadership. Uh, so those are a couple that I would recommend to people. I like that you brought up vulnerability there. I've read a couple of Brene Brown's books. Yeah. Have you gotten to read yes. her work? Yeah. So she talks okay. a lot about um, vulnerability as well. So I definitely think it's something that people don't usually think about with leadership, but it is super important to think about and to be uh, vulnerable with your team. Yeah. And I mean, think about it in the context of a medical, I, again, I'm not a doctor, but if you can be honest and open when you make mistakes or when you're struggling, what might that do to the performance of your team? Let's say you mess something up. Well, if you try to hide it, you're creating a culture where we need to hide bad things. And if you do that long enough, things eventually are going to come to the surface and it's, it's not going to be good. So I, I agree, man. I think it's a great way to think about it. I think vulnerability is intrinsically tied to courage as well.
Yeah, I definitely agree. And Cal, it's been so much fun having you on. We've learned so much and I'm so happy we got to interview you today. One of our, our last questions for you today though, is top three things for up and coming leaders to do. So we talked a lot about different things that leaders can do to start preparing young leaders. Uh, I know a lot of our audience is gonna be medical students and residents working to become future leaders as physicians. What are three things that you think leaders can do, the best things that they can do? That's a great question. First, I would say when it comes to leading yourself, I would do the eulogy exercise in the seven habits of highly effective people or something like that. Figure out what matters to you the most. The eulogy exercise essentially is you picturing yourself at your funeral and you've got your loved ones that are there and your people that you work with and all of these different things. And it, it forces you to think about what do you want people to say about you at the end of your life? And it forces you to really confront your most important values. So I think that helps you think through your critical values. The second thing I would say is create some form of a personal development, personal growth plan. And it can be simple. It can be, I'm going to start reading 15 minutes a day. As Going back to what we talked about at the very beginning, make it small, make it easy, but reading 15 minutes a day, listening to a podcast once a week about leadership, taking a time at the end of the day to do some gratitude exercises or some journaling, something simple. Start with just one thing and make that a part of your personal growth. Take ownership over your uh, personal growth. And then I think the last thing I would say is ask questions. Ask questions to people. Become someone who's curious. Acknowledge that you don't know everything. I, am, I interviewed a general uh, two days ago. And the biggest takeaway from that interview was he's always growing. He's always learning. He's always learning from not just people that are more senior to him, but everyone around him, his children. I learn from my daughter all the time. So ask questions and be a lifelong learner. And I really think that will help you uh, have an open mindset and become a better leader. Well, Cal, I hope that our listeners find all of this information impactful and important to them. Again, we'd like to thank you so much for coming to talk to us and talking to our, our listeners. I think you are a great person to be our first interview. We appreciate your support and uh, we hope we get to work together in the future. I think this is going to be, not a lot of people like to nerd out on leadership stuff. I guess <laughs> Caleb, Caleb and I are like very, you know, one, a few, what is it, a needle in a haystack? <laughs> few, few far and wide whatever whatever phrase you want to use <laughs> i um, love it but it's it's been a blast it's been really fun well same for me guys i'm, I'm so excited you guys are doing this it, it will definitely pay off for people that are listening and certainly for you as well so keep up the great work and i'm honored to be your first guest thank you So that's all for today. Thanks everyone so much for listening to this episode of Leading the Rounds. Hopefully you were able to learn something new and get a better perspective of how we can improve as leaders. If you like our content, please subscribe and follow. We work to put out a new episode every other week. You can also contact us 
and connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Leading the Rounds, or email us at leadingtherounds at gmail.com. See you next time on Leading the Rounds.